knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Well, welcome back, guys. It is a Monday morning, bright and early. I hope you had a great weekend. I have got an exciting guest on the phone that I am dying to dive into some details with. I've been following him on on Instagram, and he's a he's a, a deer slayer if there's ever been one. But uh, <clears throat> we're going to throw out a quick shout-out to Wild Edge Incorporated, the, our title sponsor of this podcast. If you haven't already, please go to Instagram. Please go to Facebook and check out what he's got, www.wildedgeincorporated. He's been a great fella, great operation, 100% U.S. made in this country, and I promise you it's going to change the way that things work for you. We're excited to use him, and I think uh, if you gave him the time of day and just and looked at what he's got, it's going to be awesome. But uh, I kept that short because we have suffered some technical difficulties today, and my guest has been very patient with me, and I don't want to take up too much of his time, and I don't want to maybe miss out on a connection opportunity here. But uh, on the phone, I have Preston Mullins. Did I get that right, bud? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Cool. I butcher last names. It could be Lee, and I could I could mess it up, my own last name, so... I'm glad oh, I got that Mullins. right. <laughs> yep, Preston Mullins, no problem. That's Mullins with an E, not an I. Everybody does I. I'm an E. Oh, see, I could see that. I, if I was just writing your name out, that's probably what I would have done had I not seen it. Yep, I always say uh, Irish is with the E, not the I. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> you can t- you can tell that you, you've encountered that problem a time or two. <laughs> you got uh, a little catchphrase for it know. and everything. Yeah, more yeah. than you know. Well, why don't you uh, give everybody kind of like a brief overview of who you are, uh, where you hunt, um, just kind of a, a basic bio rundown so that they can uh, get to know who they're talking, listening to. Yeah, no problem. Uh, my name is Preston Mullins. I'm born and raised a uh, Pennsylvanian, and for anybody kind of elsewhere in the country to know, Pennsylvania is sort of you're, you hunt the backwoods, and they call them mountain deer here, even in the state. I was raised in the north central part of PA, and it's just outside of. Uh, just outside of the border of New York and uh, hunted there my whole life and ended up in college. And then in a grad school, I kind of got on a hunting hiatus because I was just moving all over the place in grad school. I was in upstate New York. I was in Long Island. I was back to Western, Western New York. So uh, I didn't really get too much into it. And then I landed down here in uh, Pittsburgh area after grad school in 2012 and just took me a little time to get some properties under control to where I could hunt. Um, whether that be public or even some friends properties and uh, slowly accumulated some property out in Ohio I can get on now as well and just in the last five years kind of been putting in a lot of legwork just all over finding little parcels here and there between Ohio and PA Um, 
getting comfortable in certain areas. Um, 32 and probably the last five years I've put more hours in than I did in the previous 15 years of hunting or 20 or however long it was I've been hunting total 30 years or 20 years, 19 years, whatever that would be. And, uh, kind of just getting comfortable with, uh, considering my home properties now, um, that I'm stable here in Pittsburgh. I don't plan on going anywhere for quite a while. And, uh, just kind of getting out feelers with guys like yourself and, um, making connections and getting into some Midwest States and some Western hunting and getting some elk hunting under my belt and just sort of spreading a little bit thinner and thinner every fall with one more extra thing to just try to kind of become a little bit more diverse in terms of the hunting world. There you go. Well, you, you reached out to me, uh, via message and started a conversation. And, um, the funny thing I was just talking to Preston about this was, uh, I'm sitting there listening to him on another podcast and I'm sitting there thinking, gosh, this guy just seems so relatable. You know, this guy's got, you know, good presence. He, he just seems down to earth and I'd really like to get this guy, you know, on the podcast and talk to him. Cause I think the, the listeners as well would, you know, really be able to relate to your effort and how you hunt and whatnot. And sh- sure enough, you send me a message on Instagram and a few, well, several minutes into the conversation, I make the connection that the person I'm listening to on the, on the, the headset is actually the person I'm talking to at the same time. So <laughs> yeah, it was a uh, small world. It's kind of, yeah, it was eerie. Kind of made the hair stand up on the back of my neck. I was like, all right, this works out just fine. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you just, you never know what's going to happen. I mean, and we're, we're what? Polar opposites in the country too. I'm northeast corner and you're southeast corner. So it's yeah. not like we had any mutual connections for that to actually happen. <laughs> yeah. And you know, almost, almost too connected. It's just the kind of scary thing about it because you're, you're 19 hours uh, via drive. I, I, I was bored at lunch today and I was kind of, you know, getting ready for this mentally today. And, and uh, I was like, I wonder how far he is from me because, you know, one of the things we're going to talk about today is going to be the kind of the contrast of, of uh, where you hunt the Midwest and kind of my core listener base is from the Southeast and they're, they're night and day. I was like, I wonder how far that distance, I mean, it's a, it's a long way. That's almost a full 24 hours of driving to get to you. So yeah, it's, it's kind of cool. Bad. It's not bad. I've done the trip to Orlando quite a few times. It's, it's, it's not terrible. I mean, we look, lo- we loaded up a Silverado with three of us with a full trailer last year and headed to Northwest Colorado. And it was 29 straight through. We didn't, we never pulled over. So it could be worse. 19 is a drop in the Man. bucket. That is a long drive. Yeah. Uh, fully loaded. Our, the Silverado can only do about, about three and a half hours on a full tank of gas so we just rotated yeah stop we did three and a half three and a half three and a half, we just rotated the whole way through so saves you time okay i've got to ask did you have any success we did not it was in the mid to upper 70s every day and we could not get the elk to move and they anybody who's chased elk around if you've never seen oak brush imagine an oak tree that's only 10 foot tall and it's got briars mixed in between it like rhubarb and they lay in it and they don't move and it was it was too hot for us to move let alone them and they they weren't doing anything it was it was brutal it was really brutal we were in november and it was in the mid 70s in northwest colorado we were at eight thousand feet and it was 72 out during the day wow yeah the issue was it was freezing and dropping snow at night so they were up all night and they just wouldn't move during the day so it was tough it was tough but i got i got another pretty good hunt lined up here maybe we'll touch on a little bit here in september going out to idaho so i'm pretty oh man yeah we'll have to hit we'll have to hit that for sure i'm 
my my first uh, expedition out there. My uncle actually lives in. Uh, God, I'm blanking as to. Um, it's not Colorado Springs. Is maybe it's Idaho Springs or something like that. But uh, he lives out there in Colorado, and he's been begging me for years. And I've been in, in college still. I'm wrapping up my master's program now. And uh, he's probably uh, just outside of Steamboat Springs. Yeah, that sounds about right. That sounds about right. Steam, Steamboat Springs or Colorado Springs? I'll bet you money it's one of them too, because there ain't very many towns out there. Yeah, well, he he. I, it's a good thing he doesn't listen to this because he'd have my hide as much as we talk about it. But um, yeah, he's been begging me to come out there for years, and I think the first year that I'll be able to make a trip out there will be uh, September of uh, 2018. And I started prepping this past summer, and uh, I can't wait. I'm hoping to make a trip out there just to go hiking between now and then to see if uh, my fitness is even close to to well, ready for it. So if he's in the uh, depending, I mean, if he's in the Steamboat Springs area, it's 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 not too bad. It's a lot more rolling than you think. Yeah, I hunted outside. I was about 25 miles outside of Steamboat Springs one trip, and it's it's much more. I mean, I was doing uh, we were parking at like 4,500 or. 5,000 and getting up to about 8,000 on it. I would do it in the morning, come out at lunch, go back in the evening. So, I mean, it's steep, but it's not Colorado's fairly, (laughs) I don't want to call it easy, but it it is not the terrain that you can get into in some of them States. You get into, it can get real freaking bad real quick. I mean, the trip we're doing into Idaho, Northwestern portion, Idaho. I mean, it's actually, the management unit's actually referred to as Hell's Canyon, so it's not it's not fun. Sweet, yeah. sweet, yeah. So that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, but if he's if he's anywhere near that Steamboat Spring area, yeah, it's not that bad, honestly. It's it, more than doable if you're in any type of physical condition. My dad's sixty, right. and I drug him up the hill a little, but he kept up. He he had to take his breaks, <laughs> but he kept up. Hardest part's the oxygen exchange in the lungs. Yeah, Takes a couple sure. days to get used. Well, to it. yeah, I'm I'm. Uh, not really embarrassed to say it, but it's the truth. I'm five foot seven. I'm 205 pounds. So I'm like way out of shape. I mean, I, it, it would, it would wreck me. I'm, I'm certain of that. I would say I'll okay. get there. I've, I've got a year. Uh, your biggest, your biggest holdup is going to be that you're, you're, you're working with sea level every day. I at least am in an area where we're 3000, 4,000 feet above you're flat at nine, eight, 9,000. You're going to, you're going to be sucking gas. There's nothing about it. Just standing there. You'll be sucking gas. It's interesting. It's kind of, you kind sounds of, like a good time. It's, it's weird. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> yeah. I was with a group of guys. We were with a group of six and I mean, I wasn't 48 hours in. I had no more problem with oxygen exchange and a couple of guys by the end of it still weren't able to do it. They, they breathe and just, it wasn't there. It's so it's things you can't control. Um, certain, you know, physical conditions. I mean, train all you want, but you watch some of these football players go out there and they can't play same thing. They can't get any oxygen. So it's interesting, but it's it's cool terrain. It's very, very, very different. Wide wide open, you can see forever. I mean, we had multiple, multiple six by sixes out at twelve, fifteen hundred yards, and I mean, when I say in shape, I'm talking. I'm in shape. I would I would be hard pressed to say if there's someone coming with a pack on their back, they're going to out leg me to get to somewhere, and it's impossible. There's nothing under the sun that god would let you get to where these elk were there's just nothing you could do you're like well that's it there's there's not enough time there's not enough ability they just they get back into sagebrush and there's nothing you can do you just can't get to them they just hang out and you just have to watch them and weep while you're sitting there with your spotting scope (laughs) Hmm. i hear you well western hunting isn't quite uh what i would consider your specialty you're kind of a a whitetail nut right i would say whitetail through and through and it's Definitely, um, 
started at a very young age and kind of lost the fire through, you know, eight years of co- eight years of college. It sort of, I don't want to say lost the fire, but I didn't realize I lost the fire until I came back out of school and got into it as what I would consider an adult where, you know, you have a set work schedule and things are a little bit easier to plan and you're not just all over. And that fire, re- that fire relit and holy hell, it's bad now. I feel like kid in the candy store every summer and fall and same old habits, same routines. And I, I, I can't shut it off. It just gets worse. And it's like, whew. but yeah, I would definitely whitetail whitetail. And I'm probably a much better spring gobbler hunter, but, um, there's just not as big of a, of a following when it comes to spring gobbler in the hunting world, to be honest with you, it's a much smaller crowd, much more refined crowd. And, and, and our birds are nothing like hunting you guys as birds. They are there. You might be hunting 60, 80 acres and you're chasing a long beard. And that bastard has 20 hens and he doesn't want to move. It's, it's very different than what I hear Florida birds are like. And I'm not saying easier or harder, just a totally different type of hunt. Um, but I will say your Nash, your, your Tennessee, your Midwest birds. I know guys that go out and kill four of them in two days. That is not Pennsylvania turkey hunting. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> it's an entire season and you're hoping to notch that you pull a long beard in. It is very difficult because they're, they're routined and there's not a lot of them to hunt. And they're very smart after they make it to three or four years old, listen to your calls. But yeah, the passion, definitely, definitely white tail. Um, I wish I could shut it off a little, but I can't. It's an addiction for sure. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, 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 I'm on the opposite spectrum of you. I, I go outside every day. It's middle of Ju- July right is July. Yeah, middle of July right now, and uh, slammed at work, busy doing my graduate program. And every day I walk out, I stop for a second and I listen, just hoping to hear that 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 fall in the air. Uh, everybody knows what I'm talking about. Where you walk outside, and and the cool weather isn't there yet, but it's almost like the fall is whispering to you, telling you it's coming down the pipe. I'll be there. I'll be there shortly. I I ended up almost failing out of college because I couldn't turn that fire off. It was the exact opposite for me. I, I, my last two years, I finally had to just grit through it and, uh, and push through. Otherwise I wasn't going to make it. Uh, I wish I'm, I'm almost a little green with envy over here right now. Cause <laughs> a yeah. 1.07 GPA after three semesters hurt. Yeah. Well, it was when I'm going 60, 60 K in debt a year, uh, you um buckle down Ooh, real- wow okay that's a different different yeah. scenario you go you go <laughs> buckle down real quick and you go you know what <laughs> it doesn't hurt if you're in long island in grad school you ain't exactly hunting anything <laughs> there's no okay there's fair no enough go, fair you know? enough so i was i was yeah. all over the place and when you're moving every eight months you just if you're moving yeah, during hunting, sure. you just couldn't get into it and i'll be honest i bass fished i lived in the finger lakes we bass fished 24 7 and from Florida, you can understand bass fishing. It's intense. Oh, it's yeah. fun. And um, we bass fished and then ice fished in the winter. So hunting kind of took a back burner for me because I – New York is probably the worst state to whitetail hunt in certain areas, not due to pressure, not due to anything other than the sheer discrepancy of whitetail deer per square mile that even exist. It's very, very, very hard – to get on deer the population is desolate when you get up up into the north central northeastern portion of new york state i mean you're getting down to where they start saying you're in like the one to two to three deer per square mile you're, you're just not going to see them so it's i mean it's not exactly fun so you kind of lose taste real fast and you're like hell with this it's 70 i'm gonna go golf or i'm going bass fishing like i'm not i'm not hunting 
So I just kind of got out of it. But um, here in Pennsylvania, there's you can hunt the whole state, but uh, the greater Pittsburgh area, when I say that, I'm talking 50 miles across and 50 miles north to south. There is a large, large of 150-plus class buck killed in these area every year because we're running right down that Ohio Valley Riverbed. Down where you guys are at, I don't know if anybody's aware of the Ohio Valley Riverbed, but it runs here, cuts across northern West Virginia, through Ohio, and it feeds right out into them big, big Illinois-Indiana areas. And if you look at the uh, 200-plus-inch buck map, like the heat map, you'll see it runs right across there. And this area down here in PA, although I talked with you a little, the density of people hunting, um, (laughs) Pennsylvania just took over as the number one number one um, hunters per square mile of any state in the country. And it sucks because we're in an area where it's even higher. Um, there's still a lot of buck. You can still push them around on public land and, and get on them. It's, you're just not going to TV hunt and wait for your buck, you know, Jim George to go from one and a half to six and a half. And then you finally <laughs> make the decision to shoot him. It doesn't exist. Um, I have a bunch of properties I chase deer around on and it's, uh, well, I'll be checking cams here at the end of July, and I can post, I can re-update you guys here with uh, on Instagram. But I'll bet money. Uh, the one property three of us are on, we had five in the five in the kill chamber. I took the number one off the hit list last year. I would be shocked if any of the other four show back up because it's that rare to happen. They just they vanish, they move, they get hit by cars, they get killed gun season. Um, we can hunt with rifles here. And I, you can shoot a rifle a long freaking ways when you're in hollows and pinch points and ravines. And our leaves drop. We have hardwoods up here. Leaves drop. You can shoot 250 yards without batting an eyelash. I mean, my rifle's sighted in at four, and I have no problem shooting that. You can um, you can demolish deer pretty fast in gun season. So it's a different style of hunting. Um, if you know any of the listeners or yourself. Uh, Mark Kenyon on the Wired to Hunt podcast, I think his last guest was a gentleman out of Michigan, and it was one of John Eberhardt. He is one of the best DIY whitetail hunters probably in the country, and he did one of the – I was rolling in my truck listening to him because everything he was saying, I say that to everybody because I don't really give a crap about score because I – it's not going to happen, and he brought it up on there. Multiple times he would comment – Here's what I'm doing, but here's what the big boxes do. Don't believe that. That doesn't work. Um, and he said, I don't see my same buck. I don't try. So it, it's, it was really cool. And he's, I think he's in his 60s now. But, you know, he's a severely decorated 30-some Pope and Young Michigan buck, which is insane because they don't, I think the average whitetail taken in Michigan is like two. I mean, so that's, if any of your listeners listen, that's a good one if they're trying to say, I've totally gotten away. I'm sitting here in my living room right now talking with you. I have 11 monster buck DVDs sitting on my, my countertop there. <laughs> I totally watch them and not for any learning purpose whatsoever. Not to take. Oh away. no. Sure. 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 You know, they just don't have, they don't have the content that applies to us. No. Like he said, he, you, you, you hit the nail on the head. He said it, watch them, have fun, be entertained by them and then get out there and do something different. Because yeah. if you do what they're doing on TV, yeah. it's not going to work. And you know, the worst thing I could ever fear would be one of these big box guys listens to one of these, hears me, <laughs> you know, I'll tell you, I guarantee you I could bring a, a Michael Waddell to where I'm at 
because he got started doing what we're doing. It just so happened the right cards fell in place, and now he has the ability to be on these controlled properties. And, you know, they don't stock these deer in time with a rope, but at the same time, they're unpressured and they're very controlled. Had I, do I bring him here to PA and give him the summer? Oh, I guarantee you, he gives me a hell of a lot of tips and tricks and puts stands where I would have never thought. Absolutely. But yeah. Yeah. It's still not the same type of hunting. Um, there's a reason people are in magazines and TV and, and we're not, I guess. But uh, I just take, I take a lot of, a lot of what I do with grain of salt in terms of whitetail hunting. Um, I don't take away from myself that I know very little still in terms of how to react to deer and what they're doing. Um, my dad tells me all the time, I always act like I don't know up from down when it comes to terms of talking about whitetail, but he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Cause every year you tag out in two States and he's like, I don't know people that are even killing bucks. So he's like, you're doing something <laughs> right. And I always laugh and tell him it's just, I think it's more sheer willpower and man hours other than actual skill. <laughs> it's just being there for being there for a lot longer than anyone else is willing to. And it's sooner or later, I'm in the right spot. So I always say it's 70% luck and 30% skill, but Hey, I don't know to his, their own, I guess. <laughs> I've, I've started to, to live by, you know, a lot of, a lot of different variances of, of this phrase, but you know, I think Thomas Jefferson was one of the first people to say it. And he said, you know, I'm a, I'm a great believer in luck and I find the harder that I work, the more I have of it. And I think it's just one of those things where, you know, luck is, is hard work meeting an opportunity, you know, you know, it's, and that's, it's, there's, there's, a ton to be said about that. Cause I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here even just saying that out loud to you, thinking about the six buck that I did take. Um, you had listened to that other podcast there and I run a shitload of cameras. I, I apologize if I'm not allowed yeah, to swear you do. on here. It just kind of, no, you're out. good. Um, I only had one of the, one of the six on a camera and all of them, I had cameras in the area where my stands were when I took the buck. So, um, when you were saying, you know, it was method to the madness why I was where I was, but it wasn't to kill the buck that I killed. So take it, take it as you wish. Was it luck? Was it skill? Was it, I have no freaking idea, but like my, my Ohio buck last year was my second sit on that portion of the property ever after two seasons of hunting there. But there was absolute method as to why we moved into that area to hunt it. We just didn't know what we were going to see, but we knew what deer needed. We knew what they wanted to eat before anything else, and we knew what they were coming to, and we knew they were sleeping. So we did deductive reasoning. Put my buddy in that stand the week before me, plow. He hit a, I don't know, 128-inch, 100. We're not score guys. It was like 128, 130, 10-point. Gorgeous, gorgeous buck. I sat in that stand the next Friday and saw dark all day. Very next night, plow. I smacked my buck. Same freaking tree. And we said, well, we found ourselves a new hotspot in the fall with the right <laughs> wind only if the white acorn mast is coming down. And where we live, I don't know about Florida, where we're at, white acorn mast will dominate. You can put a turnip radish field right beside it with acorn trees in the middle of it, and they won't touch it. They'll eat every acorn until they're gone before they'll touch anything else. You could put 50 pounds of corn. They won't even sniff it. They'll eat every one of them acorns. So, um, like you said, it's with the, you know, the opportunity meeting sheer willpower and time. And I think a lot of my kills, there's more skill and, and thought process in it. That is probably more of a subconscious movement that I just made without having a deductive reasoning. Why that maybe was just because 
doing like riding a bike. I don't know how the how do you write down on paper what you did? You just did it. It right, just happens. Right. Um, yeah. So it, it's, well, I think I think I think it's important for people to realize that you know. I'm I'm gonna try and build on what you said, and you can correct me if I'm wrong and refine it, or tell me I'm just you know out of, not even playing the same ball game right now. But I think a lot of people will say it's luck. I, I, for folks like you and I, and I think of the majority of our listeners, it's not so much luck so much as you know these guys that you watch on TV. Again, I'm not knocking them. I love it. I love watching muddy TV. I love watching Midwest Whitetail, and and some of the boys on Midwest Whitetail do work pretty hard on public land. But I don't have the luxury of picking out the buck that I'm gonna shoot. So is it it's not so much that it's luck so much as you have correctly identified that area and there just so happens to be a deer in that area that you want to hunt it's not it's not really a luck factor such as uh you know I say I'm going to I'm going to kill Booner this year and I hunt for Booner and I hunt for Booner and then I go sit up on some random field and Booner shows up that's kind of luck to me to me it's it's if I have put myself in a place where I feel like is is good for deer and a a 120 inch or whatever. I'm not a big antler fan. Uh, I don't shoot for like, I, Oh, he's 135. Man, I can't shoot him. I'll be honest. I don't even know what the hell you guys shoot down there in Florida. I, I, I wouldn't, if you, me, <laughs> if you told me 150 was the biggest you nah. ever killed in Florida, mm-hmm. I would go great. Well, hold on. Okay. What? I bet you, I bet you the biggest deer killed in Florida free range probably is 150 max, that's but the say. majority, well now the majority of what you get down here is like 110. I mean, that's a 110 to 120. You have the equivalent of a 170, 180 in the Midwest. Yeah. Well, I don't, uh, I mean, so again, and we'll touch on this Idaho hunt I'm going on. Um, but I, I made a really good connection with a guy. He's an awesome dude out of Ohio. And, um, he actually small world. He hunts in North central PA in this little, rinky dink town it's 15 miles from my parents house and he said he said you've got to be kidding me that's where you're from i said yeah why and he goes well i'm a midwest hunter i hunt ohio flatlands and he goes i guide and leases in illinois and kansas and he said i'm gonna tell you something your mountain deer hunting i would i do it and he goes it is the hardest thing i've ever freaking done and it sucks and i'll hunt my pinch points on 10 acres with crop fields in the Midwest every day of the week. And I went, you know what? I go, you're the first guy who has ever actually openly said to me, you know that it's a severe advantage to be able to do that. And he goes, absolutely. He's like, it is not even close. He said, you're hunting thousands of open hardwood. And when I say hardwood, I'm talking 90, 100-foot oak trees, giant maples. And he's like, you're in hollows so big. He goes, I don't even want to walk up them, let alone carry my gear. And you know, I'm doing stuff where now in Florida, you guys have the heat. Even in 35, 40 degree weather here, I'm full clothes changing before I get to my stand. Because even in a t-shirt, my socks, my base layers, I'm so covered in sweat from carrying gear in to get into some of my stands. It's so far. I'm covered. And I'll freeze all day. So you guys have to fight the heat. We have to fight the cold. Because we'll, we can hit an October snap up here and start dropping down. You're, you're sitting in the forties with 25 mile hour wind. It's, it's not warm, but, um, to touch on what you were saying, your Midwest deer, I, 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 I'm getting to now where I'm not even now I'm going on a hunt to Missouri here, uh, Halloween weekend. And it's to go hunt the deer that everyone in the country is looking after because they exist here in PA in Ohio, but it's not the same style of hunting. It is much more physically demanding or, Total shit luck that you were on the edge of a cornfield that you own a thousand acres and this guy's cruising every night because 
you can't trespass and get onto other people's property. And you got lucky because you had the right area to hunt, but it does not happen like the Midwest where you're not glassing on roads. You're not watching them in velvet for four months. And then you're spot and stalking and you, you wait for a Southwest wind one night to hunt a stand and you crack them. That just, <laughs> eh, that don't happen right. here at all ever. So it, it well, you know, we, we've, we've started down the road very, uh, neatly there of starting to compare and contrast. So let's, let's build on that a little bit. If you look at, you know, you said, what is your, your biggest Florida buck? If I said it was 150, um, the biggest deer ever killed in Florida was 170 inches, believe it or not. Well, and I'll tell you the other huge difference. I'll bet you that deer wasn't 130 pounds, 135. Does it say he was field dressed? No, it does not say field dressed. Oh, I'll bet you it was like the one buck I killed last year, he was only three and a half. And I mean, he was 170 pounds field dressed and the other one was only three and a half. We think he might've been closer to three. Um, I'm not a big half year guy. I, I, I firmly do not believe every fall that every deer is a half. Uh, I'm watching fawns with spots in freaking September, October. You're not telling me those things were born in March. Um, so, and he was about 179 pounds field dress and they say add 30, 30 pounds for guts. So, you know, both deer well over 200 pounds. So for you guys, that's a, I don't think that deer would exist. Would it 200 and something pound deer? I'm, I'm actually wrong here. Um, about the biggest buck. I just, I scrolled down further. Uh, that was the 10th biggest buck. The biggest buck was killed in 1999 in Orlando, Florida, believe it or not. Oh shit. Um, yeah, he was uh, 206 inches, but he was in velvet. Um, he was he also uh, was living on a 38,000 38, acre wildlife management area that had been off limits for hunting for 13 years. Oh, probably, so it's kind of a unique circumstance there. He's probably six and um, a half. Uh, three and a half, according to this. Believe it or not. I don't know, man. I, you know what? I tell you what. I tell you what. Take uh, take take this up with uh, uh, Buckmasters.com. <laughs> I, I, for what it's for what it's worth. Let's call for a revote. Florida's good for that. Let's do that. <laughs> revote. There you go. Yeah. Um, but but you know, so you have like this little hotbed. Oh well, going back to what I was I was uh, saying there is you have four different seasons here, four different zones in in Florida. You can start hunting if you're willing to travel to South Florida, like down Miami type area. You can start hunting July 29th no. for deer. Yeah, that's one. Of, and Florida's one of what nine states that open early, and that means prior to I believe right. September first. Correct. Yeah. Yep. And their and then their season runs through February 22nd if you hunt just west of Tallahassee here. Uh, so you can hunt if you wanted to travel all over the great state of Florida, which I would not advise. Uh, you could hunt from the end of July to the end of, of February and only have uh, what's that four four months in between uh, hunting seasons. Yeah. Um, but now compare that to uh, the the you know okay sure we have ten deer that are over one seventy. However, if you look at the list of Boone and Crockett bucks by state according to uh, Boone and Crockett. We aren't even in the top thirty. No, no. I, Maine, I, there's gonna, Maine has more. There'll be there'll be ten buck killed over 180 inches in the Pittsburgh area this year in archery, like easy. And that's just the ones I'm looking for. I mean, so and again, but it's rel it's it's relative because there might be 
Oh, I'm trying to remember the Pennsylvania buck harvest last year, but it was massive. Tens of thousands. So when I say 10, you're like, okay. Now, comparisons to they, how yeah. many buck are harvested, period. It, it's percentages. I don't know if the percentage is any different, but I know our deer that are taken is an exorbitant number, more than probably hell, close to freaking half the population of Florida. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's a lot of freaking deer get taken. It's insane. It's like it's like a massacre come gun season. It's insane. I mean, well, y'all have what, what'd you tell me? It was like a million, a million deer hunters or what, what'd you say? We have the most, I know we have the most, but we had, we just passed, we have 20, I think 20.5 hunters per square mile in the whole state. And me and my dad, (laughs) I even my dad laugh because you don't hunt the whole state and you take an area off Philly, you know, a couple million, three million people. And I mean, it's all. 50 square miles you can't hunt legally. Allentown, 200,000 people can't hunt. The city of Pittsburgh can't. There is huge areas that are not huntable. And the other thing is there is large, large portions of Pennsylvania that are uninhabited. So uh, 50 miles you'll drive and never hit a town. So you might have one hunter per square 10 miles in an area like that. So to have 20.2, it's absurd. I mean, that's so... A square mile is not that far. <laughs> like, I can walk that yeah, really sure, fast. Yeah, sure, sure. It's averaging 20. And, I mean, you can see it down here in, the like, Pittsburgh area. I mean, even back where I grew up, you're, you're running into people all over, but it's forcing everybody to post. Everything's going to private. Even though Pennsylvania doesn't really have trespassing laws, people post anyway as a deterrent, but there's really no – there's nothing. Yeah, I mean, even on your Instagram, you've got trail camera photos of, of looks like of folks just all like the time. Uh, all the time. Yeah, and and the 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 sad part is I've now, well, and we can touch on this if you want. I've kind of went to elevated trail cams, a for people, but also b because I've I've stumbled on kind of like my own knowledge of thinking of how mature buck up this direction are are how I think they react to any type of people presence and. I can tell you right now, a camera in a bedroom with an LED going off or an infrared or whatever you've got, I, I'm starting to think was an issue in the last two years. I've I've really, really elevated my trail cams. I'm up. I have a climb and I have to take a lone wolf and alpha stick with me, and I stick it up. The first peg, peg's probably waist high, so I'm guessing I'm hanging at 10 to 12 feet, my cameras, and I'm angling them down. So A, to keep them out of line of sight of deer, to try to at least give them ability but also it really, really hinders people because they just walk through the woods like blah, 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 blah. They have no idea. They're not going to see a trail cam that's on the backside of a tree, 12 foot up in a tree. So um, I look last year, I actually, I sat in one of my millennium hang-ons till dark, went home, came back the next morning with my hunting partner to move it. The whole stand was gone. The ladder set, all the straps were cut and our camera was gone. And that was, we had to drive four wheelers into private property to get to where this stand was. So we have no idea how they even got there, let alone found the stand and did it in the middle of the night. So it's kind of impressive to be honest. So, so let's, let me ask you a question. And this is something that I'm coming up against and we'll, we'll segue after that. Well, let's just do this first. Uh, break down uh, by percentage public versus private for deer hunting. How, do, how does yours break down in that regard? Okay. So let's see here. Um, the three little lots I hunt in Pittsburgh. Uh, the one lot is about 60 acres, 360 degrees surrounded by posted property to the entrance of those. So basically that 60, I cannot leave. Um, I'm going to say it's quote unquote private in terms of 
I have the ability to throw people off, but it is not private in terms of they're going to waltz out onto it. There's no one else to stop them. And legally speaking, I'm only giving them a strong deterrent that they shouldn't be there. And if it works, it works because the family told me I was allowed, but at the same time, they're like, we're not going to stop anybody from hunting on it. So take that as private as you wish, but it's not. Um, like I ran into a guy from two hours away sitting in one of my stands and I asked him who he was and he told me he had permission. And I kind of laughed cause I'm like, well, that's my tree stand. And I don't, I have no idea who you are. Um, but all 360 degrees around it, there's public spots now public and or posted. So by that, I mean, if it's even public, I don't go on it cause I don't know who owns it. And there's other hunters on it anyway, coming right up to the edges of the property. Um, I have another 330 I have access to as well, but you saw multiple pictures. It's also quote unquote private and it's posted and we have it gated, but there's times where our tree stands are moved, our cameras are missing. So when I say private, it's completely taken with a grain of salt. I actually had a guy last year, he was sitting in a tree with the posted sign and claimed I'm hunting away from your property. Like that's what people will do just to get close. <laughs> and, and I don't want to say arguments after kindly, you know, strongly urging he should not hunt there. If the landowner comes by, he went up the hollow, but he was actually sitting on the posted sign. And my stand was only maybe 50 yards down a bench. That's not very, very far when you're hunting mid October, mid October, our pre ruts kind of kicks up. So again, that's quote unquote private. But in my opinion, it's, it's, it's not that any different from public because we've got people all over it. So you can't, when you're all working and you're not out there all the time, we're out there sparingly. Yes, it's not public and people are going to go, oh my God, he's not hunting public. This isn't DIY. <laughs> I'm hard pressed to not tell you it is not state game land. No, but it is not privatized to the point where I control people coming on it because they'll sure heavy human presence. Yes. Like we had, we had side-by-side -side tracks through the center of our field plot or our food plot we built last year. We did it all by hand. And if you see on my Instagram, you can see some of the pictures. I did it with acre and a third with hand tools and a four-wheeler. And there was, it was growing and we had side-by-side -side trail right down the middle of it rutted. So like we can't, we can't stop any of that. So it's very heavy human presence in hell. They could be hunting out there. We would never know. I mean, I, I might be on the backside of 300 and they're on the front side. I'd never catch them. There's no way to stop them. Um, and then I have another little teeny lot. It's only like 30 acres, totally public. So if I run into somebody sitting on it, tough crap for me that day, I can't hunt that. Um, now Ohio, I get a little bit luckier. It is a family owned patrolled in sense of they live at the mouth of the property and they're not totally comfortable with people going on it, but they have a lot of quote unquote hunting neighbors that will waltz up there and they have no problem with. So again, private, um, the thing that works in our favor in Ohio, the state of Ohio, they will go after state, they will go after felony charge for trespassing and they push very, very hard to prosecute. So you don't worry about people wandering on that definitely don't know whose the property is because at least if you run into them, they know the family who owns it because it, they, push it, they push it to prosecute so that nobody does it. And it's, that's awesome. It's, I wish more States did. Yeah. That. And, um, I know, I know Colorado does it because it's a federal fence. If you're on a, and if you're a non-resident, 
you could lo- you could run the risk of not pulling a tag again ever. They just won't give you. Good. Um, that's fantastic. There ought to be more strict uh, strict yeah policies for for situations like Wyoming's that. Wyoming's going to it, and Wyoming actually makes you. If you go out there to try to do a DIY, you have to be with a Wyoming resident, I believe. Don't quote me. Or oh, well, okay, so that's a Wyoming state yeah, that, guide. That's just law. You can't be. That's if you're hunting the wilderness areas. Correct. Yes. Which is still is still interesting that you have to be with somebody from the state. But um, Pennsylvania, they'll slap you on the wrist. They may not even if you're trespassing, the cops may not even show up. They just may not even come because it's just a it's a waste of their time. So um. Uh, so breakdown, the one Ohio property, uh, private in terms of non-posted, but I, there is other hunters on it that I'm, uh, you're mildly competing with Pennsylvania, all public slash private, but circumferentially public. So <laughs> your, your, your access points are conjoining with other people's access points. So I, I don't call private unless it's private, like my name's on it and I'm going to be on it so much. They're going to be definitely afraid to run into me because it's going to be hell's fury if they see me out there. So yes, private in a sense, I, I am not hunting a state game land where I'm, I'm walking blind, but not public in terms of what people probably consider totally wide open public. Um, so that, that, that's kind of my mix. That's my breakdown. Um, the Midwest that just sort of varies on year. Where I'm going, what's going on, what I'm trying to do. DIY is it not? That's that's a whole nother beast in itself. If if uh, any listeners are curious, that's that's a long, arduous tracking process, and it's it's uh, start it early if you're planning on doing hunts at a later age. Don't wait because you'll never draw tags <laughs> if you start late. But um, so let me so let me ask you this, and this is where I wanted to segue into this is. Um, I'm, I'm starting to hunt public land this year, uh, here in Florida. I've never really hunted public land for anything other than, uh, waterfowl and turkeys. Um, you know, when we were talking before, you were talking about the number of, of, uh, hunters that hunt in Pennsylvania. And then on the podcast I was listening to, you were talking about just the, just the amount of, of trespassing that happens. What is your advice to, we have a lot of new hunters, a lot of, uh, I get a lot of messages from people saying, you know, Hey, I'm getting into hunting, found your podcast. And they ask me questions. So I'm also assuming that those new hunters are also hearing stories about, you know, the orange army that comes into the woods and, and all of our Southeastern states have gun seasons. Uh, most of them pretty lengthy gun seasons. What, what is your, how do you feel? I'll I'll phrase it this way. What's your uh, words of wisdom with regards to hunting public land in areas where uh, other people could be hunting with firearms or bows and crossbows? What do you, how do you, is there anything special that you do to to bring comfort to the fact that you're not going to get an arrow to the back? Honestly, I will be Here's so depending on small lot versus large lot are night and day, you know, large lot versus a small lot is a big, big difference. But I will tell you, um, if you're doing very public now, generally though, publics are not small lots unless you're finding little parcels and housing developments and whatnot. Um, I would say do whatever it takes for your boots to go to where 95% of guys boots aren't going to go because where you're at, what works in your advantage is the heat. That is going to stop a lot of people from getting somewhere through a canoe where they have to canoe, where hip waders carry tree stand plus all their gear, get out, put the hip waders on, take them off, go to that spot. Topo map, find, 
I know a little bit about swampy hunting. Um, get into them areas where they're accessible by water only. Eliminate the general population of laziness, which is primarily most hunters, that 80, 90% of guys who want their stand inside of the truck. Go to where they're generally not going to go to. And if you are running into somebody, they're probably serious enough. You may acquire a good hunting partner out of it. And you're going to say, well, this guy did the same crap I had to go through just to try to sit here. Maybe this would be a good guy to talk to. And the days I'm not hunting, he's hunting or her. And they're going to learn stuff that I can't learn because I can't hunt. And we can exchange it. And we can kind of use this as a partnership to say, we're going to have four sets of eyes in the woods instead of two or one or whatever it happens to be. Go where no one else wants to go. That Honestly, that's here in PA. That's. I walk a long freaking ways from road access. Um, it's, I take that out into the Midwest, and, and not really the Midwest, the West. So Idaho, Wyoming, Colorado, that's what we do. I mean, we've been planning this elk hunt in Idaho. We are topo mapping, and we have all the state roads. And we're looking at ravines and saddles and switchbacks out here in these 9,000 elevation. We're, we're 7, 10 miles going. That is going to eliminate 99% of hunters that we could possibly run into. And it, you, you're, you're going to where if you're going to run into someone, you might be able to run into them and say, Hey guys, we're going to take this area. You take that area. We're both pretty serious. And you're both going to respect the fact of how far you got back in there. Um, it sucks when you do it day to day. I'll tell you right now, I, I don't have a whole lot of fun sometimes mid season when the weather gets real inclement, incremental and, you can't come out midday because you're just too far into it. Um, but that's what I do. I, whether it works for others or not, I don't know, but I mean, how else do you eliminate, how else do you eliminate human presence except go where someone else's boots don't want to go? I, that's, that's what I would say. And I don't care how old you are. Um, I, I, you know, I work in the healthcare field and I'll tell you, most people are not in shape. So keep yourself that way so that you can do it as long <laughs> as possible. Um, get back in there however much sweat however much gear you've got to have change all your clothes out i mean i do it pretty consistently because we go from scolding hot to two weeks of nice 60 degree weather to freezing cold and uh layering is a key here so i'm always changing clothes because a tree stand i mean i care i run lone wolves and i do lots of running guns with hang-ons and 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 sticks but I'm still up in that 25 pounds of gear going in and out, counting my pack and my food. And, um, there's no way around sweating just, but a lot of guys won't do it. They just won't. They want a ladder that's right off the edge of a trail somewhere that they can get to just go beyond them and say, you know, the deer are going to do the same damn thing. They don't like people either. So that would be my advice. I know that's long winded, but long and short of it is just get away from people. I, I, the one property I hunt, I've smacked buck on every single year and um, knock on wood, the, the, the brother-in-law and the family doesn't hear me talking about this, but he hunts the same thing. And all he says is about how bad it is to hunt on that property. Cause there's people. And you know, if he hears this, he doesn't know I've cracked all these buck off that land, but I just kind of keep my mouth shut. I don't know where he's hunting and where I'm hunting, but I, I don't seem to have a problem tagging out on it and he doesn't even see deer. So Lot, lot to be said. Well, that could that could be something like entry access routes or something else too. Oh, absolutely. You know, that, that, which, so many variables which, there. Yep. Which wind? Which stands? I I understand the deer patterns. I 
certain ones I don't hunt until November. Um, he, uh, he, uh, doesn't seem to have any luck and I, I don't seem to have a problem <laughs> on the same 60 acres. So, uh, I think well, you don't seem to have problems in general. I mean, no, you killed I, what six good bucks in three years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Six buck in the last three years. Yeah. And then the year before that, I tagged out one in Pennsylvania, but I didn't hunt Ohio yet. I didn't have, uh, I didn't have land out right. there yet. So, um, that was the only reason I only got one that year in my mind. Wait, you, you, you only get one buck tag in Pennsylvania. Yeah. You only get one in Ohio as well. Oh yeah. Well, here's, here's a contrast for you. I have a two deer a day limit. Yeah, no, and we actually have we have a doe draw, doe license date is released, and you have to send your doe application in that day. If it's a day late and they receive it, they'll throw it out, and then it's restricted on first come first serve basis. So if there's fifty thousand for that unit, that's it. Holy if fifty thousand and one, you don't get one. That's hardcore. Yeah, that's that's serious. Yeah, a lot of people won't get a doe tag because you miss. You missed the draw date for your unit when to send in. And it has to be postage stamped that day. You can't mail it in the day before. You can't mail it in the day after. You have to mail it that day. I wonder if that doesn't help contribute, though, to y'all's small, smaller bucks on, on, on a... Because Pennsylvania has what? They're, they're similar to Michigan in that the average deer is about two years old that they kill. Um, right? I'm actually looking right now uh, in, in 2013. Now, this has changed drastically in the last five years, but... Uh, there was 127,000 bucks killed and 200,000 doe, but there 50% of all antler deer were considering yearling buck that were harvested. So that's pretty. So, so what's your opinion on on if they gave more doe tags would 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 smaller deer would smaller bucks not get shot uh, as a result? Well, in since 2014 or 13. We went to an antler restriction for everybody over 16. That has made a drastic difference. Um, certain part of the state, it's interesting. We have an interstate. That interstate 80 runs right across Pennsylvania. Above it, you have to have three on one side. Below it, you have to have four on one side. Um, and since that went into effect, we've seen a pretty drastic increase in buck size overall. I don't know about the numbers. I have no clue. But I know size, we've seen a difference because you can't shoot that yearling six-point because you're – you're not allowed. It's got to be four up on one side and uh, it doesn't qualify. So a lot more buck get to walk. Um, I don't know if you increase the doe tags. I know they've extended seasons thinking more people will shoot more deer, but then you just allowed the actual full blown hunters that are still going after that same deer to hunt longer for that one deer. Didn't necessarily make you tag any more or less. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if they opened it up to, you know, 400,000 doe tags if we would just maul the entire population there'd be nothing left be <laughs> I, which is yeah. possible because when you say the orange army you can't even comprehend it until you come up on this way and sit on opening day when you can just see out in front of you in gun season it'll make you quiver a little bit if you're in the right area it's pretty loud really a lot of guns a lot of rifles going off it's it's a very eerie feeling Man, I see. That's 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 so foreign to me. Like you know, I, I always I always thought I hunted heavily pressured uh, deer property in the southeast, you know, Georgia and northwest Florida. The more I talk to people, the more I realize I probably got it pretty good for the amount of people that hunt on the on the the public lands that I have here to hunt. 
Um, you know, you, you describe something like that. I talked to another fellow on the phone the other day. We were setting up a time to, 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 um, record a podcast together. And he told me that he sat one time closer to the road because he had a feeling that, uh, when everybody got in there, they would push the deer this way. It was right off the road, but he felt like it was a good spot, uh, just by human pressure more than anything. And he ended up being right. Yep. Um, he said he counted 39 trucks coming down the road that day, about 30 minutes before daylight. Uh, I can, I can tell you growing up as young kids, we would do deer drives where we actually lined the entire hill with enough guys that the deer couldn't get in between you. And then the rest of us would sit on the other end shooting toward where you're walking from. And you'd cover from the pavement to the top of the ridge and push them right to you. Just like fishing a barrel. I mean, it's insane. <laughs> it's an insane way of hunting, but I mean, it works, but it's totally, it's Brown. It's down. You're just firing. And, um, yeah, you're, you're shooting for meat at that point. Yeah. And the, the antler restriction helped with that a lot. Cause you really have to watch what you're doing now. Cause it's, it's a pretty hefty fine. If you hit, uh, an antler restriction lower than what you're allowed. Interesting. And y'all have actual physical tags that you have to put on the animal correct. too, correct? Which is absurd, yeah. but yeah, we do. Okay. That's interesting. Uh, I've never heard somebody say that before. So you, you're obviously against the tag system. Oh, it's Ohio's is so easy. The last three years, I killed my buck from the tree stand, pulled up my phone, picked the weapon I used, what size the buck was, the date I killed it, the time I killed it, hit submit, and I'm totally registered. And any game warden stops me, he can check online to make sure I registered and I'm good to go. But you fill out that harvest card, or else they catch you without filling it out. You're in a lot of trouble. But they have a paper tag, which is also online verifiable. So if you lose it, it still exists, and um, you just fold it up and throw it in somewhere just to verify that you've purchased one, and then you do the uh, the online system. It's great. Yeah, I'd, I I don't see the sense in spending my tag money to print tags out for me to then give back to me what I just paid you to put in the system. Just just put it in there and <laughs> leave it there. You know, Ohio does it seems to work. Midwest states do it. It seems to work. So I don't I don't get the whole tag idea. I mean. If I paid for it, I know what I've got. You know what I mean? So I, I, but it's old mentality. I mean, they've at least upgraded us to the plastic waterproof ones. We used to have paper and they would, they would corrode inside your tag. So at least they're they're (laughs) waterproof now, which is nice. So let me ask you another question. And uh, this is going to be a two stage question for you. What is for people hunting heavily pressured public land, public slash private land? In your case, um, what is your number one, like you have to live by this one rule the rest of your life when you're deer hunting. What is your number one piece of advice for deer hunters like yourself? And can you tell me a story in which that, that, uh, rule made the difference? It can be a success. It could be a failure, but that the, the story that's related to that rule kind of putting you on the spot. Oh, wow. Yeah. Hold to on to this here. one. Yeah. I, uh. You know, I guess I have like some of my own little bylaws is what you would call it. Um, What would be the one thing? So if I'm bringing a kid out that's 12 and teaching him to hunt, what would be the one thing whitetail hunting that I would tell him? I mean, I don't want to go with your standard, oh, scent control, da-da-da. Truthfully, no, I don't know if that relates to being public land or private. Um, number <laughs> one, I don't think it relates. I think it just relates to archery hunting in general, which isn't based on that's hunting fine. 
Um, I'll, to be completely honest with you, um, maybe let's, let's kind of two part this one direction. I would go with this would be to say, uh, don't, and I kind of said this a little bit ago there. Don't, don't be lazy in terms of what month it is on the calendar when you know something's approaching, uh, meaning your April projects and your March projects, put the man hours and have them done and don't sleep in and say, I have next weekend, I have next weekend because I'm as guilty of it and I got a lot better this year. Like I'm done, cams are up, I'm not going in anywhere. Um, the number one rule, as much as you possibly can, get all of your shooting lanes cut, your stands up, your cams in, and get your human presence the hell out of wherever you're going to want to hunt. Because if there's none on the little parcel you're hunting, but it's on the ones around you, they're going to move onto the one that you're not in. And you being in there all the time, because and I'm just as bad. I get, I get antsy and guilty. I want to go check all my cameras. I run around out there. I, you know, I descent myself, but to a point you're only doing so much, your sweat's dripping and your hands are sweaty. So get your projects done that are spring projects, i.e. your, your stands up. Um, you don't have to drop cameras till closer to that July area because you don't need to see them coming up from, from May or June. Um, get them all done. Try to do it on a nice rainy day and, and get yourself out of there. And then pick that one day really close to the season to get in and get out based on the conditions and then start to make up your game plan and go in with like the attitude of, I know I'm going to kill something today. Um, don't go in with the attitude you're never going to because you probably never will. Go in knowing, I know I'm going to see deer in here because I have put way too much time in. I know they're here. I know they're coming through because the attitude isn't going to make a buck appear. The attitude is going to make you ready when the buck does appear because you always kind of on alert that it may happen at any given time because you don't know when Johnny Appleseed on top of the ridge comes waltzing down to his stand and knocks him out of the mountain laurel coming full sprint down toward you because I've had that happen and I've missed buck because that happened because I was taking a little snooze and I was thinking it was crappy weather. And <laughs> I, I, We've all done that. Yeah, and I just presumed this is a crappy day. This sucks. I haven't seen a deer in three straight sits, blah, blah, negative Nance. And it got the best of me. So always have an attitude that you're in the right spot because when you're thinking you're going to see deer and then you do see deer, you're always much, much more ready for it. And I don't, I don't know that that's a, a rule or a piece of advice, but I, I, it kind of applies to everything. I was trying to do something that's kind of, I know. I, no, that's an interesting take that I have yet to, to like, I feel almost sheepish about the fact that I'm, I'm about to be hunting public land. And I didn't think about the fact of stick it out there because, you know, Joe blow, if he's, if he's wanting to get in there early or late, rather, he might be pushing a deer past you. And if he's, if he's leaving the stand early, because he probably doesn't have the same level of dedication, there could be a deer making its way between me and him. Absolutely. And then he goes and stands up in his stand and boom, there he goes. And if you're always thinking you're going to see deer, you're going to be just enough alert that you might that half a second getting your bow off its bow hook before that thing comes by may make or break you. And I, the largest deer to date that I've shot and missed that I hunted for two years was for that exact reason with the weather conditions and blah, blah, blah. And I just, I, I wasn't ready for him to come the way that he came from. And it, and it cost me with a, I made a bad shot and, and it cost me the deer and I never, never saw him again after that. Um, 
So I had a Montreal cam about a month later, but that's it. Um, but yeah, because if you're on public land, there's nothing saying that John and his girlfriend Becky aren't going to take their two labs for a walk right down the freaking middle of the hollow you're sitting in. <laughs> nothing stopping that from happening. Yeah, and good point. There is always a chance after they walk by, there was a buck bedded there since the morning that never had moved that all of a sudden makes his way back past you to get away from that. That is something I would say tell people to really keen on. If you think you're in a good area, bank on that you are in a good area and don't rule it out until you put enough man hours in in the tree stand to say, never mind, maybe this isn't. You know, don't don't burn a spot out because of one sit. Do not burn a spot out because of one sit. Absolutely not. Um, give it enough time before you void it and say, never mind. But on public ground, just go and pause ahead of tube. Get it into a spot where you're comfortable. Um, maybe if you're hunting new public ground, get something that's a little bit better vantage point. Maybe not the highest percentage chance to take a deer, but something where you can really diversify. I don't know what you guys' land lay is like. I know fairly flat across the board. See as much as you possibly can. You might forfeit that night of hunting, but it might clue you in as to what maybe three deer you saw did the same thing and then hone in on that area and then get into there and then sit and then get it and, and just building block from there. And it may burn you for a whole season to try to learn that, but you're not going to do it any other way. So I, that was kind of a long winded answer, but I, I, that would be what I would start. I would say, um, cause there's no, there's no trick to it. I'll tell you that I, if there was, I would tell you what it is, but, but I have no idea. It's, um, man, man hours. That just sheer willpower of, of doing it. Um, so I think maybe that would be it. And I, the other one I would touch on would be do not let that bow get cobwebs from April, May, June, July, August, because ah. there is going to be more 31 yard shots quartering that you weren't ready for. And the more arrows you shot from 30 that whole summer, the better that arrow is going to come flying out because muscle memory yep. is a real thing. <laughs> it exists. And it's a subconscious action when you're on public land and from start to finish, your entire hunt is 20 seconds. And it better be muscle memory because you don't have enough time to draw. And there's my anchor. And now I feel comfortable. And you better practice that bow with your head net on and your gloves on because all your anchor points change when you have that gear on. And I do it all freaking summer. I shoot with my gloves. I shoot with my, my fall gloves on. And I shoot with my net gator on because those anchor points change. They change from the material. And I shoot and I shoot and I shoot. And one of the biggest tactics I do is I practice at 60, 50, 40. And at the end of my practice session, I'll shoot three to six arrows from 20 just to mentally know I can do it. But when you practice constantly at 30, 40, 30, 40, I've never, I never take those shots in the woods, but 20 seems like a breadbasket shot when you have seven seconds from start to finish of the whole entire hunt happening. It's a little bit more second nature and that doesn't happen from starting to shoot your bow in august and hunting in september it happens from shooting your bow every time the sun pokes out the whole freaking year and for you guys you shoot all year we get we get zero degree weather for two three months you, you really can't do that but uh come april well <laughs> come come june july and august it's mighty difficult to motivate you between the mosquitoes and the and the 100 degree uh 80 humidity it's uh it <laughs> It's only, I would I would well, say arrows. it's pretty difficult to go out huh? twelve arrows every night. 
12 arrows. You know? We agree. 12 arrows. Oh, yeah, I still do it. I just, it's not, uh, and, it's not a walk in the park like some people think. My, you know, my second thing. And let's say, you know, even five nights a week, you shot 12 arrows, you shoot 60 a week, 240 arrows a month, 480 for that August. That would be my second piece because I, I've, I've missed 2013 and 14 season. I missed arrow and nicer buck than I've tagged to date in PA because I quote unquote felt like I shook the rust off with my first arrow of the season. And that I, I, I vowed for it to not happen again. And it hasn't since I went, I've went six for six. My last six arrows that left the bow all were double or single lung shots, very clean cut done and over. Um, a couple were fun track jobs. A couple were, you know, 20 yards and dropped, but I've shot a tremendous amount of arrows through the summer. <laughs> like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, because I do not want the quote-unquote rusty shot to feel like that first shot in uh, late October at a buck. Absolutely. Well, my mentor coming up, he was a big-time archer. Um, one of the things he told me is, oh, I, I can hit it. I remember telling him I was like 16. I was like, oh, well, I'm pretty proficient at 20 yards. You know, I've got about a four-inch group. And he said, you, you drawn back on a deer yet? I said, no, no, sir, I sure haven't. And he said, well, let me tell you something, son. When that adrenaline gets to going and you've been holding that bow and you haven't drawn back or you've drawn back and you're having to hold that bow and it's been sitting there for what seems like 15 minutes but it's only been 30 seconds, that 20-yard shot's going to feel a whole heck of a lot more like 40 or 45 yards. He said, you you, <laughs> you need to be practicing far more than you are. And, you know, I carry that I carry that into today. I mean, I, I shoot – I just switched from right-handed to left-handed to, to match my dominant eye. So I'm only shooting 50 pounds right now. Um I'm I'm practicing out to 60, 70 yards, and I'm not going to take a shot that far because of my setup. But, man, I, I don't even enjoy shooting at 20 anymore. No, it's so much more convincing shooting um, shooting at uh, – now, my last pin's only 60, and uh, I'm going on an elk hunt, and that's even where my last pin is. Um, that's, that's the max, and it's going to depend on the shot at 60 for me to even take that at an elk. Um, you see a lot of them guys on TV. I'm kind of going out with the mindset of 50, but I practice – 60 60 60 that's all i shoot all night and then my last set is down in the and usually the odd range i'll shoot 25 35 so i'm between pins um just because it's different and generally in the woods i'm shooting 32 24 i never shoot on my pins it just doesn't work like that so um but that is that's something i tell everybody do not shake the cobwebs off at the very last second if at all you shoot to the point where you can rip that bow back so fast. If you have three seconds, your anchor point hits smack dab as soon as you pull it back because you've done it so many times. Um, another thing, you know, when I'm shooting, I change it up. I'll set my bow. I built myself a, a bow rest out of like PVC pipe. If you look on my, my Instagram, a couple pictures in, you'll see my bow hanging on it. And uh, I'll actually set my phone there. I'll hit the timer button and I'll draw my bow back and I won't shoot until it hits a minute shoot an arrow. I'll do it again. It won't shoot till it hits a minute, shoot an arrow. Won't shoot till it hits a minute. And then I'll do the inverse. I'll hit the timer. And as soon as that hits 10 seconds, I'll say, I got to shoot before it hits 20 and I'll draw back. And I got to shoot before it hits 20 seconds. I got to shoot before it hits 20 seconds, shoot before it hit. So you're shooting, you're giving yourself six, seven seconds reaction time. And on the other end, you're inversely holding the bow for an entire minute until you're releasing. And you know, again, like I said, I, I work with a lot of muscle physiology, muscle trains. You're working red fibers versus white fibers versus 
mechanically drawing your bow back at 60 and releasing it eight seconds every single night. You're training one set of muscles. That's not what you want to do. You want to be all over the map. And uh, the only way to do it is just train all over the map. Change out, change it up. Do do something different every night. You're going to shoot 12 rows at a minute, and the next night you're shooting 12 arrows all at five seconds. Uh, and I know that sounds dumb, but I'll tell you right now, it makes a massive difference because that buck stands behind a sapling for a minute and a half. It starts to suck holding 70, 70 pounds back. I don't care what the let off is. It's no fun. <laughs> I agree with you, man. I think that is, I think that is something that people hear on a very routine basis and they just, they, they prioritize them properly or they put it off or it's too hot. The mosquitoes, you know, it, I really think that that, you know, I don't, I don't feel good going into a season if I can't, you know, I give myself one minute of angle of accuracy, you know, for the bow, that's like, you know, whatever your group is, 10 yards, that's one inch group. If I can't hit that at least out to 40, I'm man, I'm really limiting myself if I'm going to go out into those woods. Cause I, it, it's, it's, you know, I had a guest on here. He's turned out to be a real good friend of mine, Chase Prince, uh, on a previous episode. And he said, uh, and, he, and he's spot on, you get one opportunity most times, especially here in Florida, you get one opportunity at your best buck that year. And if you've put in all this time into food plots, if you put all this time into, into topo maps and, and e-scouting and all this, this, this foolishness, you've been running trail cameras all year, and it breaks down to just like you said, shooting 10 arrows a day or 12 arrows a day, uh, five days a week. That's 50, 60 arrows that you're shooting through there. That is going to improve you over the long run. It just, it, it, it can't have a negative effect on you. So uh, I just, I hate it when I have friends who will go out there and they'll pick up their bow or, or you, you go to Dick's Sporting Goods or any bow shop the week right before hunting season. There'll be people bringing in their, their oh, I need a new string. Oh, I need such and such. Yeah, I just br- I br- I took it out the case today and it's, it's, it's exploded. You know, it's like, man, you're really selling yourself short and really putting a whole lot of your time and effort and money and resources into something that you're just uh, shirking the very last most important detail, perhaps. Absolutely. Nope, I agree. And I'll be honest, I was guilty of that myself at one point. Um, I've I've remedied that in the last two to three seasons, particularly the last two. Um, I moved here the last few months. So it's a, I used to be able to walk out. I had, I had an 80 yard range in my backyard that I don't have now currently, but I still have access to it. So I'm not doing it on a nightly basis, but I mean, I, I shot nightly, even if it was six arrows, I walked out, zung 60 air, six arrows at 60, walk back in that every night I was doing it. Um, but I, I also shoot, like I told you, net gator gloves on, I'll throw my bino harness on. I want it to be as similar to being in the woods as possible. And as our temperatures come down, it's a nice brisk evening. I'll throw on multiple layers because that starts restricting your draw and that changes your anchor points and it changes. Um, they all sound so dumb. And, and now you've, you've got to alter that to Florida weather to, to Pennsylvania weather, but, uh, that's, you know, all my shots, my last six buck have been killed from mid October to late November it's not warm. I'm shooting with layers on, you know, and generally seven, eight hours after being really frigid, your arm better be in extreme peak physical condition because to draw a bow when you're that cold is very difficult. Uh, you stiffen up, you cramp. If anybody's ever been real freezing cold or wet, it gets very, very difficult to draw. So, uh, training like that is sounds so insignificant and it's so, when you asked what I would do first, if I had to eliminate 
the public land and always being ready and go with just the being prepared to shoot in any waking second, I would probably go with that one first because that's going to at least allow me to have a higher percentage kill rate than being in the right place at the right time. So I, I think they're both important in their own mind, but the, the, the training of the shooting, the bow is, is key. Now, again, like you said too, with your, your poundage and knowing your limits, that's another huge, huge, huge point because I might be able to get a little, get away with a little bit more because I'm shooting 70 pounds at 28 and a half inch draw with a 480 grain arrow. I'm throwing harpoons at these deer my variance may not be the same as yours with 50 pounds draw with a little lighter arrow because it, the precision's a little bit more keen at that point. Um, you know, I'm shooting a four blade. What is it? Two in Jesus, just shy of a three inch cutting diameter. It's literally throwing bowling balls. It sounds like you hit the side of a tree with a baseball bat when these arrows make contact. So that doesn't take away from my training of shooting, but it may give me a little bit, I may take a little riskier shot knowing knowing the ability of my bow and my equipment. And people don't know that either, like you said. They have no idea what they're even shooting or what it's capable of. They can hit a target at 50, so they may wing an arrow. And it's not the smartest thing in the world to do. Equipment knowledge is, uh, is bliss, I think, in, in our profession, for lack of a better term, because... It can make or break what you're going to do with that animal. That's for dang sure, uh, public or private. You know, know your limits and know, like you said, what are you capable of? If you're you're having a blast shooting at 40, no problem. And you know your bow, you know the limits, you know the energy on it, and you've got one at 40. Who the hell is there to stop you from shooting it if you know it's capable of taking that animal down? But definitely, I am. I don't have a whole lot of a whole lot of room for uh, people who wound. I get very upset and it happens to the best of hunters as well but not not for lack of knowing your limits um if you did it outside the bounds of what you're capable of then i have no i have no tolerance for that i get very upset i don't like that at all well brother i i want to be respectful of your time and uh thus far i've had you for several hours so i i think maybe this would be a good point for us to wrap it up and you and i can schedule a date to to maybe go over some of those things because i think that's another topic people in my area would like to hear is what, what yeah. do they need to do differently to get up on, on public land? So, uh, equipment wise, but, uh, I if think that if would be, that's a, a whole nother beast because that is public land hunting with equipment is not the same as private land hunting with equipment. Um, there you go, you go away from the Cadillac seat, you go to the, well, this sucks to sit in for 12 hours seat, but it's the only thing you can get in and out quick enough. Um, yeah. Uh, Get together, get together some topics that you you would want to. I mean, because I I run and gun, even though I'm on public, my stuff does not stay in the woods because it is too expensive to get lost <laughs> and <laughs> stolen. Yes. Um, um, so I learned my lesson the hard way, and I I think I've come up with some. As I get my my website's going to be up and rolling here by September first, I'm going to start throwing some run and gun tutorials on them, which they're all over the internet, and I I've kind of made my own, but definitely like specifics on equipment for weight reduction and what you need to do and not do and little things that I've kind of created myself that allow me to get up the tree quicker because if you're moving because you see deer action 75 yards down the hill you better be able to move quick and quiet um but equipment is holding other beasts as far as that's concerned yeah I didn't even really think of that we we kind of just went off on a 
tangent of I don't even know what the hell we just talked about, but we did something. <laughs> high, and, high level con- compare and contrast. Well, I think I think you've got a body of knowledge most of our listeners wouldn't have, so I, I think that's something we we need to do for sure. I think there might be two two maybe three uh, podcasts we could probably break down uh, maybe your western adventures when you come back and whatnot. But uh, if you'll hang on the line, I'm gonna go ahead and wrap this up. Yeah, no problem. Guys, if you like what you heard, somewhere on the screen that you're looking, there's a subscribe button. Hit that subscribe button. That way you get all of our future podcasts. If you would, please go to iTunes. If you're on iTunes, leave us a review. One star, two star, I don't care. I just want to know what you thought of it so I can improve this to make sure it's uh, everything that you want and uh, you're going to come back week after week and listen to it. And lastly, visit Wild Edge Incorporated. Awesome product. Y'all hear us talk about it every week. Do yourself a favor and go check it out. Y'all be good. Join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. You're listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network, brought to you in part by HuntStand, the number one hunting and land management app.